Turn with me to our text this morning, which comes from Philippians chapter 4, as we'll be looking at verses 10 through 14. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 14. Hear with me then the reading of God's holy word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Thus far is your reading of God's Word. Where has true contentment gone? That is the question that I pose to you this morning, brothers and sisters. And I pose this question because it's a sad realization, but as I reflected over this text this past week and read and reread these verses, I couldn't help but notice that this contentment described to us and which the Apostle Paul himself exhibited seems to be rapidly disappearing among those who would call themselves Christians, and especially in this country. And I say especially in this country because America is such an affluent land in so many respects. And that's not a bad thing. right? This country affords us great opportunity. Great opportunity that if you work hard, you can make a, a decent living. You can live relatively comfortably and support your family and not have to worry about where your next meal is coming from. This is something that in this country we enjoy, although in other countries they might not enjoy that. Yet, at the same time, it seems that as we get more, we want more. We don't ever seem to be satisfied. It's as if as soon as we acquire something, we are looking to acquire more. Right? We're always looking for the next best thing. Right? If you, if you got a, a new 2019 car, by the year 2020, oh, it's old now, and you need the new one. Right? Or if you buy a, a new smartphone, maybe it's a, an iPhone. It seems like as soon as you buy it, a few months later, they come up with uh, an updated version of it that has a, a couple new trinkets that the, the other one didn't have. And you say to myself, you say to yourself, well, My phone doesn't have this. I need this one. And so you struggle and try to find ways to get it. Or maybe it's it's wealth you fixate on. Maybe you got a a promotion at work or you got a new job. And it's sufficient for you to pay your bills. And you should be happy and content in that. But instead, as soon as you get that job, you're looking for one that pays a little bit more than that one. right? Yet in hearing this, if you're listening to what I've just been saying and if you're thinking about it, what does this reveal to you about wealth and possessions? Well, it should tell you that temporal things 
cannot give us contentment. Temporal things cannot give us contentment. And this should be obvious to all of us. Because I'm sure that we've all experienced getting something in which we experience momentary joy and happiness. I'm sure we've all experienced that in our life. But what is always the result? It seems like, in the end, these temporary things that we get that bring us joy and happiness always leave us empty and wanting more. And that is not true contentment. Rather, true contentment, as defined by Wilhelmus Abrakel, is this. It's the correspondence of our desires with our present circumstances and a willingness to be in the circumstances wherein we are and in no other. Contentment, he says, is realized when our desires match our circumstances. Right? Contentment is when our desires match our circumstances. You see that when you are constantly desiring more and more and more, you will never find yourself in situations and circumstances in which you will ever be content. And this is why so many Christians today are not content. Because they've adopted the thinking of this world. They live and they function as earthly-minded people. Enough is never enough for them. Oh, if I only had a little more money, I could afford this house which is a little better than mine. I could afford those shoes or I could go on one more vacation. Or, oh, if I only had these clothes, then I would truly be happy. But you see, this is the the great deception sweeping our land. Because joy, happiness, and contentment are never achieved through addition. But rather, joy, happiness, and contentment are found in subtraction. This is what Jeremiah Burroughs said. He says, the art of Christian contentment is not to add to your circumstances, but to subtract from your desires. Subtracting from our desires. This is crucial to Christian contentment. And wow, who would have thought that true contentment is in relinquishing, it's in giving up and not in acquiring. Now I'm aware that this probably sounds like nails on the chalkboard to some, especially those prosperity gospel preachers. But if you are a true Christian, and you desire contentment, you must know this, and you must understand it. Because we are constantly, in this day and age, being bombarded over and over again daily with commercials saying, the latest thing you need to have if you are really somebody. Or we live in a society in which social media reigns supreme. And daily you can see your friends, what it is they're buying, what new item they have. Or you can see from celebrities what the latest you know, cool gadget is to have. And it has this uncanny ability to cause or to stir within us a desire then to want those same things also. Yet as Christians, as those who supposedly read our Bibles... Have we not learned the grave effects from this type of thinking? This type of thinking in which we are not sufficient with what God has given to us. Have we forgotten what happened to our first parents? 
in the book of Genesis, we are told that Adam, that the Lord creates Adam and He places him in the garden and He tells him this in chapter 2, verse 16. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And after this, we are told then that the Lord forms Eve and they are placed in this garden to work and to keep the garden. And yet they are to enjoy all of its benefits and all of its beauty. And although they are told to, that they can have the pick of every tree but one, what happened? What resulted? Well, we read in chapter 3, verse 6, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her. And he ate. They were not content with what God had given to them. They had every tree of the garden but one. Yet it was that one tree that they were not given that they wanted most above all else. And so they disobeyed. And they went after the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it brought heartache and pain and suffering and death as they were cast forth from the garden. And if we disobey the voice of God like Adam and Eve did in the garden, we too will experience heartache and unnecessary suffering in our lives as our life with Christ will be affected and our sanctification will be impeded. For just as the Lord spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden, He likewise commands us this day in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5, saying this, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, brothers and sisters, we are commanded by God to be content. And Paul, who is the example for the saints, tells us in verse 11 that he is content. Yet, first in verse 10, he says this, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. You see, the purpose of Paul writing this to the saints was to acknowledge the gift that he had received from them as the church in Philippi sent the minister Epaphroditus to deliver this gift to Paul in Rome while he was imprisoned. And so Paul writes to tell him of his gratitude and of his thankfulness for it. But just as Paul has done elsewhere in this letter, he likewise here writes, though, to clarify what it is that he meant. Because he does not want them to think that they're giving or their non-giving impacted Paul's contentment. Paul, rather, was brought to joy by the fact that these are those he labored after. And they were giving to Paul. They were showing evidence of their faith and of their sanctification. They weren't being selfish, but they were being self-sacrificing. They weren't just looking to their own interests by keeping their finances to themselves, but they were giving to Paul, who likewise was in need. And for this, it brought Paul great joy seeing that the Lord was using his ministry and that these saints were being faithful to God. And yet, 
Paul was quick to point out that the, the gift itself was not the object of his joy. As he says in verse 11, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Saying in verse 12, I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now what we, make, what we must make note of here, brothers and sisters, is that Paul says that he learned contentment in whatever situation he was in. Right? Contentment is learned, Paul says. Yet, remember, Paul is speaking to saints. He's not saying that anyone and everyone can learn contentment like you can learn to do math. But contentment is a virtue. And so the ungodly do not know virtue and cannot know true Christian virtue in light of the fall. And so Paul's not saying that anyone can learn contentment. Yet even for the saints, we know that any virtue that we have and can exercise only comes through our union with Christ. As we've been made a, a new creation and given a new heart. And it is in this new heart that we have where contentment now lies. And so it is only those who have been given a new heart, one that is guided by the Holy Spirit, that we can now learn contentment. And so in saying that, I hope it is more obvious to us why so many Christians then lack contentment. They lack contentment because they have not taken the time to learn it. Instead, they spend so much time complaining about their present circumstances and plotting ways to get out of it instead of rather learning contentment in the current situation in which they are in. You see, Paul learned contentment in all and every circumstance. A few weeks ago, remember, we learned that Paul, he had this thorn in his side and he prayed to the Lord three times over that God would remove the thorn. And God told him, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Paul had to learn to be content in that situation just relying solely on the strength of God. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 11, Paul says, To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. Yet all the while this is going on, Paul can rejoice. This is because Paul's point to the saints is that our happiness is not defined by our circumstances. Our contentment is not defined by our circumstances. Throughout this letter, Paul sits in prison with death as a very real possibility. And Paul writes over and over again throughout this epistle about his joy and how it abounds over and over again. This is because Paul's external conditions could not sway the internal contentment which was in Paul's heart. Can we say that about the contentment in our hearts? Thomas Watson, the great Puritan, said this about Christian contentment. When there is a tempest without, there may be music within. A bee may sting through the skin, but cannot sting to the heart. Outward afflictions cannot sting to a Christian's heart where contentment lies. Thieves may 
plunder us of our money and goods, but not a pearl of contentment, unless we are willing to part with it. For it is locked up in the cabinet of our heart. I don't think I've ever heard contentment more beautifully described and summed up than I did in this quote from Thomas Watson. As Watson describes contentment as not being dependent on things or situations, because contentment lies in the very disposition of the soul of the believer. What an extraordinary description of Christian contentment. To not have and yet be content. Or rather, to have much and to be stripped of it all. And yet, the same disposition remains in the believer. That, brothers and sisters, is true contentment. Yet among Christians today, I think we would have to search long and hard to find contentment such as this. True Christian contentment. And that's because Christians today are not concerned enough with spiritual things, are we? Right? They have it so good, we don't see any need to really be concerned with spiritual things. We spend so much of our time consumed with earthly things. When I get out of work, what am I going to go do with my friends? You know, what are the plans for me and my family this weekend? We live in a society that constantly has to be doing something. Go, 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 go. We have to be filling our schedules. We have to be feeling like we're always busy. But how about instead busying yourselves with reading the Bible? How about busying yourselves with coming to church? Busying yourselves with praying to God? Busying yourselves with learning contentment? Busying yourselves with things of real value, spiritual, heavenly things? And so, brothers and sisters, truly, I say that my hope that if you take away anything from our study in Philippians, that it would be the importance of constantly seeking and setting your minds upon that which is above, upon that which is heavenly. For if you desire to grow in your Christian life, this is necessary. If you want to conquer sin each day, and not allow it to exercise control of over you, you must fixate your minds and your hearts upon spiritual things. It's when we fixate our minds and our hearts upon earthly things that we leave ourselves most vulnerable to sin. And the sin of those who are not content is usually found in one of two things. The sin of discontentment comes from usually either excessive love for earthly things or it results from a lack of trust and confidence in God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, if you're so absorbed in a world where you are constantly needing things to be content, you, brothers and sisters, 
have an excessive love for it. You are too worried about storing up treasures here on earth. And this is sin. Now, I'm not saying that we are not to have any concern for our earthly affairs. That would be foolish. We have to, uh, we need food to eat. We need clothes to wear. Our children need braces. They need uh, gear to be bought for their sporting events. Uh, bills have to be paid. Right? It's not wrong to show concern for earthly things and then to do what we need to pay our bills and to provide food. But what is wrong is when these things draw us away from Christ. When we become so consumed and so worried about having something that you are drawn away from spiritual things and you focus and you think about earthly affairs to the detriment of your soul. Right? If not having something makes you discontent, then you have an excessive love for it. And this is sin. Yet on the other hand, how often is it that we hear people say and talk about the sovereignty of God? God is in control of all things and He has my good in mind in all that He does. Yet they live and they function like they don't believe it. They're just vain and empty words because they're the ones who are so worried about having this or having that. But how many times have you experienced saying to yourself, boy, I don't know how I'm going to come up with the money this month to pay this bill or to pay that bill. Yet in the most desperate of times, has God not provided for each and every one of us? Or who here hasn't experienced those trials where something bad happens over and over and over again? You're like, oh man, will, will things ever go good? Right? Your, your car breaks down one week. The next week you hurt yourself and you go into the emergency room. Then you get home from the emergency room and you find out my basement's flooded. Yet each and every time, has not God taken care of His people and provided for us? We have, brothers and sisters, experiential knowledge that God's Word is true, don't we? So why do we worry and fret and get anxious over these things that we cannot control? Isn't it easier and isn't it more consistent with our profession of faith, brothers and sisters, if we entrusted ourselves to the care of the Lord instead? If you desire contentment, you must entrust yourself fully to the Lord. And for the Christian, you can, like the Apostle Paul, as he knew what the secret of contentment was. As he tells the saints why he could be content in every circumstance saying in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Brothers and sisters, you see it is Christ our Lord who is the true secret to contentment. This is why only believers in Christ can know this virtue and exercise it in our life. Because it comes from the power of Christ and it flows from Christ to each and every believer who are united to Christ through faith. And so it is Christ's strengthening power that allows you and I to be content in every circumstance. And so I ask, if you are feeling discontent, what is it that you ought to do? What is it that James says in chapter 5, verse 13? 
Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. So if you are suffering from a discontented heart, brothers and sisters, turn to your Father and pray to Him for whatever it is that you need. And He will surely give it to you. For contentment is His will for you and I in our life. Yet, when you pray these things, you must also be ready to be brought by God into different circumstances and situations which will make you learn contentment. And so readily entrust yourself to God in these times. In these moments, exercise full reliance on Him. Trust that His strength is sufficient for you. And truly believe that as a child of God, that as He places you in these circumstances, in these situations, He is working out for your good for those of you who love Him. And yet at the same time, this text should also be a lesson for so many of us who often misconstrue the words of Paul here to say something other than what he meant them to be said. Because these, ver- these words, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, are some of the most used words in Scripture, and yet they are also some of the most misused words of Scripture. Right? When do we hear these words most often? It's usually when something good happens. Right? If you, if you get a job that you applied for you didn't think you could get, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Right? If you, if you pass your test, or often we hear this a lot with athletes, right? When they, when they win, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yet, Paul says these words win. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, not at the best time in his life, but at the very worst time in his life. Right? Paul sits in jail. He is awaiting a sentence. He has lost his freedom, yet he is content in his circumstances because he has Christ. Right? This is what Paul means when he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He can do all things that pertain to what God has called him to do as a minister of the Gospel. Because it is God who has equipped him to do those things. Yet, this doesn't mean that Paul could be a a superstar athlete or a rocket scientist. And this is what people tell their kids these days, isn't it? No, I'm sorry. Johnny can't be the next LeBron James. LeBron James was blessed by God with a, a body that's six feet eight inches tall and a frame that's akin to an NFL linebacker with freakish athleticism. Right? Johnny's 5'2", 110 pounds soaking wet and has two left feet. He cannot be LeBron James. And so Paul isn't saying that. Paul is saying that as a, a minister of the Gospel, God has taught me to be content with much or with little, no matter what my circumstances are, and to rejoice in them because I have Christ. And it is Christ who equips me and it is Christ who strengthens me to do what He has called me to do. And it is because of Christ that Paul can be an example to the saints of what the Christian life ought to look like. And that, brothers and sisters, is a life of contentment. And so, what it is we should learn from the Apostle this day is that we should not be grasping at, we should not be grabbing at the things of this world. If you don't set your mind on material goods, 
If you aren't in constant pursuit of the next biggest and best thing like this world is, they won't mean that much to you. You understand that their value is limited and it's fleeting. So whether you have them or you lose them, it will be of no real concern to you. They aren't what give us joy and happiness. Having or not having does not affect our contentment in life. And so I ask you this day, search your own heart. Ask yourself. Look in the depths of your soul and say to yourself, what is it that I cling to most on this earth? And then turn to God and ask Him that He would cause you and give you the strength to lose the excessive love for those things. That He would remove those ungodly desires which inhibit your growth and your sanctification. And that rather, He would give us a greater desire for that which is spiritual. To have a more deeper and intimate relationship with God. To grow in love for God. To grow in desire to live obedient to Him. Perhaps pray to Him that He might give you greater contentment. That He might place you in circumstances and situations that He might teach you contentment through them. Yet also we must learn from the Apostle that when our conditions and when our circumstances do change, that we are not to dwell on those changing circumstances. Because when we dwell and we fixate our minds upon the changing circumstances, this is when we take our minds and our hearts off of God. It is when we dwell on our changing circumstances that we become discontent. Rather, brothers and sisters, immerse yourselves in the promises of God. In the comfort He promises us. Remember the command of God which I read earlier from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. And what it said. It says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. And why did he say we should do this? What is the, the reason that the author gives at the end of verse 5? He says, Because I will never leave you nor forsake you. What a glorious promise it is we have from the Lord. We are to be content in the Lord because the Lord is always near the believer. No matter where He places us, God is with us and He is giving to us all that it is that we need. And so as we draw to a close, I say likewise to you, brothers and sisters, be content. Have joy and happiness in every circumstance because your contentment does not come from temporal things. Contentment does not come from wealth nor even your health. But rather, contentment comes through our sure confidence in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Changing circumstances cannot shake true Christian contentment because true Christian contentment lies with the One who does not change. The One who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Please bow your heads with me in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the promises of Your Word. 
We thank you for the comfort and assurance that you give to us in your word. Yet, Father, as we read this morning about contentment, we confess, Father, that we are those who often are discontent. Right? We want to be placed in better circumstances. We're not happy with what it is that you have allotted to us. And so, Father, we confess our sin before you and we seek uh, forgiveness of sin for the sake of Christ. Yet, Father, as those who have been united to Christ through faith, we receive those great benefits and blessings that flow through that union. And so, Father, we would ask that you would give us greater contentment this day, that you would teach us greater contentment, that you would place us in circumstances and situations that would cause us to learn contentment, to grow in reliance and trust and dependence on you and not ourselves. For we have no reason to fret or to worry or to become anxious. For we have the promise of the Lord. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Father, we thank you for this great promise that we know that you are always near the believer, always working out all things for our good. And so Father, we gather this morning in great praise and thankfulness and gratitude for what you have already done as we come before you seeking, Lord, a greater benefit and blessing through that union with Christ, a greater contentment of heart that you would give to our souls all that it is we need to be nourished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.